We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. As always, here with Ben, how are you? Good. I'm doing great, Patrick. Excellent. Good. We're going to dive into a... Uh, I've mentioned this before, but I'll, I'll do it again because it's appropriate here. Where Sometimes you just send me a note and you just like, without any context, you just like, you just give me a, a, a one sentence or half sentence text. And this time we're... So we're diving back into one of those and it's a, you sent me this. Two elements of every successful business. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk well, about the two elements of every successful business. So uh, obvious question first, what are the two elements? Uh, two elements are leadership and product. And each of those are made up of a few different pieces. Okay. Let's dive into leadership first. Uh, and, I, and I'll ask uh, one question first, which is how much of this is relevant to the, to the new book you guys just put out? Is this, I mean, it feels, leadership feels very much I mean, it is very much part of what that book is. Is that where this came from, this idea came from? So I, this is um, a note I've been keeping in my phone for a long time about these two mm -hmm. different elements and kind of cool. like building things out behind each one of them. I'm always trying to think about the framework of things. So, you know, I love pyramids and hourglasses and pie charts and yep. graphs and five uh, factors I, and 10 principles and exactly anything <laughs> alliterations and yep. acronyms and yeah uh, i don't know if i've become like that because of you or if we just happen to both be the same but i'm i'm right there with you yeah so anything you kind of like anything you like grab a whiteboard and get excited yeah. about and be like oh check this out and like try yep. to so i like to create like the the building blocks of things right yeah. um and kind of parse them down into like what are truly the fundamental pieces what are the, uh, the moving pieces inside of each of those so um, the book is about the second part of this, which is leadership. Um, the first part, I don't think we address really at, I, I'm hesitating because we did three drafts. I think in the second draft of the book, we talked about more products. Product. Yep. Yeah. But I, um, we did not in the yep. final, final release of it. Got it. Okay. So let's, let's start with product then. Uh, give cool. me the, give me a sense of what's in that, uh, what's, what's underneath that category. Yeah. So, um, inside of this category, there's three different things. It's REM, like the band in the eighties. Mm -hmm. Um, and that stands for results, experience and marketing. So breaking each of those down, the first one is the results. And it literally is just like, how well does the company solve the problem? Mm. You know, so, uh, you know, does your iPhone do what you want it to do? Does your gym make you fitter? Does your financial advisor make you wealthier, right? That, mm -hmm. Does the does the company does the organizations of the companies of the business follow through on the promise? Do they solve something for the end user? Like mm -hmm. that again, just kind of pull back again. What are we doing here? The things that business success hinges upon. Like if you don't have that, you can do it another way, but it's going to be short lived, yep. right? There are fads. There are people that. Just hit like the right niche at the right time that just do this thing, but they're not going to create long-term sustainable success. The, mm -hmm. the Amazons, the Apples are doing this well, right? The iPhone works really well. Amazon delivers things cheaply with great um, uh, diversity of product choice um, quickly. That's what they do. Yep. So part of this, I guess, is like I like the Jeff Bezos thing of, you know, everyone, t everyone uh, applauds Bezos for – how forward thinking he is, how much of a visionary he is, how much he's transformed the way business is 
um, do business. And his thing has been from day one is what are things that are not going to, not going to change Mm. in business? Mm -hmm. He's like, people are always going to want one of three, three things. They're always going to want more choices. They're always going to want cheaper products and they're always going to want them faster. So it's hard to do those things in brick and mortar. Right. So that's why he created Amazon. He purposely started with books because he could do that. Books were all relatively the same size, shipped very easy. They didn't break along the way. The shelf life was, was forever. There's it like there's, <laughs> and there's, right, it's just so easy to start there. So he's very, so that's the first piece is results. Um, are you, is the company solving the problem for the end user? And that's where most businesses start, right? I, they should go like, are we, are we, um, are we, are we making someone's life better in some way, form, shape, you know, whether it's a better way to, um, recycle or it's uh, whiter teeth, like it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one's experience. And this is regardless of if it's a service or a product business, but it's the customer journey. It's the connection that somebody has with the company. It's the care and attention that they get. Um, it includes everything from customer service to the, the way that people build a tribe, the vibe that the company creates. Um, it's how the company treats you. Mm-hmm. And um, you, know, you could love the iPhone, but if you have um, um, trouble with it, and you call up customer service and they treat you horribly or, you know, after staying on wait for six hours, they say, sorry, we're not around to take your call. You're like, what? I just wasted six hours on hold. Like it's, this matters as well. It matters more for service oriented businesses. Obviously, if you're a restaurant, how you're treated at the restaurant is huge. If you go to Disney world, the experience is huge. If you um, are painting people's houses, the way that you, treat that whole experience for them is huge, but I don't want to leave it at just service businesses, even though um, it also works really well for product businesses because you have to map out the customer journey. Mm-hmm. And at every touch point along the journey, meaning from when they find the website to when they um, start checking you out more on social media, to when they try your product, to when they buy it and all those things. Are they getting touch points along the way that make them feel really good? So the experience matters a lot. And the third part about product is marketing. Um, this is the branding. It is the awareness. It is the marketing funnel. It's the you know the four P's of marketing. It's the promotion, price, placement, packaging. Um, it includes everything from um, if you're a gym, it's your facility. It's the website. It's the imagery you use. Um, it's what is, it's, what does the company make you, um, think about them? Mm-hmm. Um, and this, you know, I kind of just alluded to it a little bit, but the traditional marketing thing is the marketing funnel. And you know, it's like one-on-one marketing is the, the biggest part of the funnel. The widest part is called awareness and big marketing efforts go into creating greater awareness, which is, you know, from digital advertising to get on TV, to people advertise on podcasts, but it's basically like advertising to strangers. Mm-hmm. Then from there, people like consider purchasing, consider buying from you. And that's the consideration people. And that's a narrower part of the funnel. And finally they buy from you. And that's the purchase. And then hopefully they create greater awareness and the funnel gets bigger and bigger. Um, I like, oh, I'm blanking on his name, duct tape marketing. What's his, uh, what's his name? 
I can't remember blanking on that right now. I don't now. remember either. But uh, I exactly. read Hoffman in my head. I know it's not. Mark? It's crazy. Is it Mark? Yeah, it'll come to me. Anyway, okay. um, I believe he's the guy that at least popularized, if he didn't invent, um, the marketing hourglass. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the marketing hourglass? I've, you, you've talked to me about it, but I, don't, okay. I haven't dived in too much into it. So really quickly, this is like – this is to me is like marketing. This is the way marketing should be done. It's um, – the top, so instead of a funnel, which gets narrower and narrower, it's an hourglass, which gets narrower at the waist, but then it gets bigger again. Mm-hmm. And the hourglass, instead of the levels of the funnel being awareness, consideration, and purchase, the levels of the hourglass, the top ones are know, like, trust, try. Mm-hmm. Buy is at the narrowest part. And then after buy, it goes repeat, I'm sorry, uh, repeat and refer. So I like this because it fits into the way I think of marketing, which is the way, you know, it's so funny, Patrick, episodes and episodes, probably four or five years ago, you asked me to find marketing and I didn't have an answer for it. Mm-hmm. So of course I sit and I think about it all the time and I write notes on my phone and I try to, so now the way I define marketing is the process by which you turn a stranger into a raving fan. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's through these steps of the hourglass. So a stranger, you got to get to know you. That's a no. Then they can like you. Then they trust from you. Then they try it. Then they buy it. Then they repeat. And then they refer. If they refer, they're a raving fan. So mm-hmm. to me, like the, the way that a company does their product well is the product delivers the results. It delivers an amazing customer experience. They just love the whole thing. It makes them feel alive. And that the marketing aspect is done really, really well. That's the product side of things. Talk to me a little bit about the necessary iteration that you found as a, to get to those things. Because everything you just – like, yes, sign me up for that. But you and I both know that it is not a right. uh, day one, okay, let's get the product right, good. Okay, cool. Let's figure out the marketing. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a process to say the least. And so how do you – how are you? How do you suggest folks start to get to a place where they can say, okay, results check, experience check, marketing check? Like, what does that process look like? Yeah, that's the million dollar question, right? So, um, the first part is always starts with uh, awareness. This is the awareness level. To me, it's like, okay, let's make sure we have these three pillars as a foundation of our product side of things. So, um, from there, it's going to differ massively depending on – this is the thing that's a commonality across all businesses. Then inside the business, is going to be a little bit different, right? If you have an app business or a SaaS business, it's going to look different than if you have a, a painting or a cleaning business, which is going to be different than if you are a personal trainer, which is going to be different than if you are um, you know, a car salesman. Like They're all going to be a little bit different, but to me, it's understanding each of these processes and truly like are we – asking yourself the question, are we solving the problem for the person in the best possible way? Can we continue to optimize and simplify? Mm-hmm. That's kind of a prism I always love to bring to any business. Yep. Um, can we optimize and simplify us even more? The customer experience. Have we mapped this out? Do we have a mapped out customer journey? Have we mapped out the first um, 30, 60, 90 days? Have we really mapped out what these touch points along the way look like? What are the pain points that they have? Like when someone buys something, they go through a process called buyer's remorse where they actually go home. So there's all these points along the way mm-hmm. um, in terms of the, the psychological effects that happen when somebody is 
um, proprietary being a, um, soliciting your business and taking um, buying from you. So understanding all of those things and then the marketing, are we truly optimizing each part of the marketing hourglass? So for sure, this is not like a, okay, we're going to go listen to this podcast and on Monday, go back in and make it happen. It's a massive, massive endeavor to, but this is what it is. It's like your, the success of your business is reliant upon these things. And to me that this exercise is again, one in um, simplicity and framework, right? Because if you don't have this framework, you go in and you go, just urgent issue, urgent so customer service was uh, complaint. Um, we have somebody sick from work. We, um, we're not making payroll. We lost six customers. Like you're just dealing with all these urgent things. But what we need to do is not ignore the urgent things, but weigh them against the, um, the focus on the way to truly optimize the business. Mm -hmm. Um, have you seen, maybe have you, uh, done yourself and realized it was maybe incorrect or, or not quite correct. Have you seen any other, uh, uh, kind of broad categories like this, like results, experience and marketing where people do pay too much attention to, uh, maybe try to optimize, even though it's not the right thing to optimize are the things that, that you found or that you've done that, uh, aren't as powerful a lever as one of these three things, right? Again, it's the, the results, the experience and the marketing. Yeah. Pe people think that their results of their business rely on getting external financing, mm. right? We need to go raise capital. Like we're, we're not going to make it unless we raise capital. Well, I get it to me. That's just, that's, and then they celebrate when they get a, a million dollars of funding. Right. And it's, that's not business that you haven't made it. Business success is solving problems for the end users and make the end users feel like they're getting something more valuable in their lives. You getting funding does nothing for that. You haven't done anything. You're going to use the funding, hopefully, to help with these three things. Mm -hmm. So we get distracted by the other bright, shiny objects. And that's just one example. Mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the things when I work with folks just on my own stuff, like it, it sounds really easy when you say like, okay, solve the problem really well. We yeah. can all agree that that's the goal, but I've, but figuring out what the problem that you specifically or uniquely can solve is actually a harder thing to do than maybe people realize. Right. What does that look like? Maybe what does that look like for, for either CrossFit New England or CompTrain as it relates to like getting to the place where you're at now? Was there a struggle to figure out, oh, that's not actually the problem. This is the problem. And yeah, now so I can go chase that. Yeah, uh, business owners get distracted by this all the time. They open up a restaurant and they think the problem that they're solving mm. is um, feeding hungry people. Right, right. That's not what you're doing when you open a restaurant. You are not feeding hungry people. Those people are making even a greater effort than they're delaying food to right. come to you. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a great – so when you really truly understand what it is that you're solving from, you're creating an experience for them. That's what you're, you're trying to create a memory. You're trying to create a, um, an environment that they can't get at home. Mm -hmm. That's what you're trying to do with the restaurant. And it's the same thing with the gym. People go like, well, we're trying to get people fitter. That's the side effect of what we're really trying to do. The, the goal is not actually to get people fitter. They could do that at home. Again, they could just do it at home. You're, uh, this is, you're trying to 
create something they can't get at home, which is make them feel like they're a part of something special. That's what it is. And now the way you do that is special to you and your gym. Is that a incredibly competitive environment that they just could not replicate in their garage? Is that world-class coaching that they wouldn't get otherwise, that they're just like enthralled from an entertainment standpoint of the coaches? Mm -hmm. Is it that they have the social connections? Is it that they just have a break from their everyday life? Like you understanding truly the problem that you're solving. None of these things are what they seem at first blush. Yeah. Like economics are not what they seem at first blush. Like supply and demand is a piece of it, but not necessarily. There are countless numbers of products that have increased in price, which by supply and demand should decrease demand that increase market share. Mm -hmm. Like premium products are a lot of times at a higher market share than lower products. That goes totally against supply and demand and economics 101. So you just kind of like sitting there, you know, with the business hat on, be like, this is the product we solve. This is what we're doing. You got to, you know, <clears throat> think a, a, a few layers deeper than that would be my suggestion. Yeah. And this is where like creatives, like you, like the mark, this is, you know, marketing departments do a great job of this, a much better job than operations. Operations come in and they execute. Finance comes in and crunches the numbers and runs the data. But the creatives and true and honestly, the best is the the best is the entrepreneurs themselves, right? Because mm -hmm. they are the ones that um, have they started this for a reason. They were trying to create something, and then a lot of times what happens is they know they're trying to create something, and usually has to do with like this this feel, this experience. But then they get distracted away from that by the economics, by the data, by the numbers, by um, all the things and they lose this thing that they were originally trying to solve and go back to like, what, what, what was the reason you started saying in the first place? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So interesting. Uh, and I wasn't kidding when I, uh, I don't know if I got it from you or if we're just similar in the, in the looking for frameworks, uh, around these things. But one that I have that for myself and with folks I work with along these lines, and it, it's, it's kind of what you're saying is, what so often we do, what so often folks do is like they fall in love with an idea, like, okay, I'm going to go open a gym. And that's sort of where it begins and ends. And then they just try to go make the gym as good as they can. And that makes sense. Like, it, like you've got to start somewhere and that's the logical place to start. But what happens is you make the thing so that you come up with the product or the service and then you hope you get it right and then you hope people like it. So you go from product to, gosh, I hope this solves a problem to, I hope people find it so that I can solve that problem for them. And a better framework, I think I would argue is to flip that entirely is to say, not start with the product, but start with the people. Who are you actually trying to serve? What are you, who are you trying to build this thing for? When you get a good sense of that, you can then say, okay, as it relates to me, as it relates to us, as it relates to our, our abilities, our skills, our, our interests. What is their problem that we can solve? Not, not every, any problem, not every problem. We're not trying to make everybody healthy, but those people, the people who we've decide, decided to build this thing for, what are their problems as it relates to the skills that we have, the problems that we, that we can solve? And then from there, come, come up with the product. Not start with the product and then hope you find the people, but start with the people and then build to the product. And that to me is a better order of events and often the inverse of what most people do. Yeah, that's interesting. I, um, 
I'm thinking to myself, if I was a gym owner on the other end of that, I go, well, no, because my customers are people that want to get fit. And mm-hmm. I'm, this is the experience I have. When I started like map, like really trying to dive in, you know, after four or five years trying to figure out and make my business a little more optimized, I did the thing, you know, what are the, what's the, who's your client, mm-hmm. you know, describe your client. And my answer was anybody that wants to get fit. Like I'm not going to, it's not socioeconomic. It's not geographic. It's not, um, um, male, female. It's not any of those things. It's like, if you want to be fit, I want to be here. And then I realized that it wasn't about, it wasn't that mm-hmm. it, it, it's true that all those things were, did not define my client. My client was defined by certain character traits. Psychographics. And when I, when I defined it by psychographics, that made a big difference because that then defined the experience, exactly. the next piece, right? That creates the experience. So in the early days with unin not on very intentionally, we just didn't know we were kind of, kind of we were defining our as very competitive. Mm-hmm. Like if you didn't want to do the open, this probably wasn't the place for you. If you weren't right. a competitor, this probably wasn't the place for you. We, it was very, very competitive across from England. And that led to certain experiences like the open, like the way we trained our athletes, like the way we coached, like the way that they experienced the gym leaderboards and all the rest. So that defined. I think about, I think about those big uh, games. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't call them posters. They were too big for, for posters. Sure. Uh, but whatever those those big signs were, at, at, right in the entranceway. Yeah, we had. A, so what Patrick's alluding to is we had these uh, big, massive banners of all the uh, CrossFit the Games athletes that I've ever trained. It said like you know Becca Voigt, and it was a big, big massive banner of Becca Voigt and Michelle Atondra, Chris Spieler, Matt Fraser, and all these like. You know, there's about 20 games athletes that I've worked with up there. And it's like, this is who we are. And we are very intentional with who we are. And because of that, we attracted those people. Mm-hmm. So it's, we, we have to um, get outside the normal scope of the way that businesses, economics would ask you to define your clients because it's not necessarily just the, the way that they line up on a piece of paper. It's the way they think. And the way they think, I would argue, actually, actually determines more about who they are as a person than anything else. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of complete the story, we've completely shifted away from that games. The banners are gone. Um, so we're, we're servicing a much different member right now. And because that, the experience is very different. Before, we did um, a month-long onboarding, 12 classes – because it was like, if you're not ready to hang when you come in here, mm-hmm. bro, this might not be the place for you. Yep. Now, we you can try a free class on Thursday and then you jump into class. Yep. There's no elements at all. It's you jump right – your first experience is experiencing the class because we believe that that class, you don't without experiencing that, you haven't experienced it. Yep. So it shapes the whole experience once you are able to define who your, who your member is. Love that. Love that. Cool. Um, I want to jump over to the leadership side of things, but if, is there anything left in that or anything else? No, I just, I just like, I'm just going to fill that. I'm going to fill it in. Cause that, that, sure. that's the, that's the blend between the marketing and, um, experience, how you experience it. But then the marketing is that hourglass, right? So that we still spoke to it. It's like, how do you create awareness? But then like, once they, how do they try you try, right? Try. So before the way they tried us was you couldn't take a class. If you want to try us, it's sign up for a month and take 12 classes. 
Now they try it very, very differently. And then once they buy and so on, it just, it changes the whole thing. Cool. Um, leadership. We, we definitely have talked about leadership, obviously a lot. We talked about it relatively recently as the book was coming out, um, especially as it relates to this culture, vision, execution, which I know was part of the book. Uh, but where do you want to start talking about this other, the other side of the coin here? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of basically as, as cool as what we just talked about is, um, it's, and even though we were able to kind of pull it into a little bit more of the, the magic side of it, right? The, the unlogical side of it is like the way your people think it's not just like find a market segment, dice it up to a niche market, target them with this set of, it wasn't that mechanical. Um, it was still kind of strategic a little bit, like this is how you do it. But we all know that your, your business is only going to be as good as your leadership. Hmm. Like you can't, um, Amazon's not going to be Amazon without, uh, Bezos and people like Bezos that he's brought in the amazing people that he has, uh, Elon, like the leadership, the visionary aspects to it, the, the way that they create culture. Um, the saying is, you know, culture eats Peter Drucker culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the other side of this. I think there's two sides of the coin. One is your product, which involves marketing as well. You know, we actually, in our business, marketing and product are um, led by the, the same team. Mm-hmm. So t- that, that just furthers the point. Um, and um, the other side of that coin, though, is leadership. And that is how you create the culture inside of the business. Um, a toxic culture uh, uh, will erode the foundation that everything else is built upon. Um, and the opposite is true. A really solid culture will create a foundation that no matter how rocky it gets up above, it's a foundation that um, everything can rest upon. Mm-hmm. Then the next piece of that, kind of going through these really quickly, is the vision. Um, obviously, there's this is kind of caught the last 10 years, this word has kind of exploded with visionaries mm-hmm. in the 21st century, like Elon Musk and Bezos and Steve Jobs and stuff like that. People that, but it doesn't have to be this. Uh, put a dent in the universe type thing to be a visionary. Visionary is somebody that uh, can see something and then um, get people excited about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And the last piece is execution because as much as we've talked about all these other five pieces, none of it matters anything because it's all theoretical until you actually put action to it. And that's where the execution happens. And this is where holding people to standards, um, accountability, um, the ex- um, actually getting stuff done. Um, that's where all of that comes to play. It's where truly like growth and betterment happens. Mm-hmm. And so much of it is like so much of it, the, of, of what you just talked about, the culture, vision, execution, so much of that feeds into the product side of things, right? It's, it's absolutely. This is the foundation that everything yeah, else can be built upon. Exactly. Without like the, it's not, without it's the, not, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So without the, without the, so here's the thing is like, once we start talking about this, it's like, oh, it gets really great. People would rather talk about how to um, really do targeted, segmented yeah. uh, digital advertising because like that's going to have an immediate return on my ROI. I can see my, um, everything comes, flows down to where it actually creates better, greater profit. And this seems like it's fuzzy. But it's not. I'm, I just I can't emphasize this enough that it's not. This is the hard stuff, and I mean that in both ways. It's hard skills and hard to do. Yeah. But when you do this well, everything else actually kind of falls into place a lot quicker. You know, we talk about this in the book a little bit, where 
Um, if you don't have a strong culture, it's essentially like putting a tax on every single decision, interaction, every single um, point of the business has taxes on it. It's just like everything's harder. It takes costs more. It takes more time. Whereas if you get this part right, it's more like a benefit. It's like, it's like lighter fluid. It's just like it goes so much faster and smoother. So the culture part, um, you know, it's, it's the, it's not, so it's like, this comes in vogue and people are catching on to this, you know, with people like Gary V and other stuff, but culture is not about ping pong tables, foosball, or having kombucha on tap for free in your place. It, it has very little to do with any of that stuff. Culture is about, um, do people feel comfortable sharing their ideas? Mm -hmm. It's about, um, do people, is there transparency in the organization people understand? Do people feel like they're a part of something? It's a sense of belonging to something that they have impact in this thing. That's what culture is. And it's, um, it's really hard to do. Uh, it takes a massive amount of intention because everybody wants culture and everybody thinks that they just can just like, well, as long as we put up like some good core values on the wall and we talk to people about it in meetings, that it's going to happen. And that's not the case. I've seen this on both ways. I've seen it happen really good and I've seen it happen really poorly. And it takes an incredible amount of intention every single day. Every single hour, you have to be thinking about creating culture and running through everything through the filter system of, is this going to improve what we're trying to create as a team? And we need to take things like um, values, which I just call like agreed upon things that you think are important. Mm -hmm. Like values has gotten so watered down now that I hate the word core values. Like, let's call it something different. Let's call it things we agree upon that are important. Like mm -hmm. that's what it is. And if you're going to find somebody that you want to date and potentially marry, isn't it kind of important that you find people that you f find common ground on what you find important? Like mm -hmm. you want to have kids. This person you're dating absolutely does not. That's not a right or a wrong thing, but that the things that you find important are going to clash and you guys are not going to be successful executing in creating the product of your family. Because that one difference in quote, a big, big air quotes, core values. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is not put the core values up on a poster, on a coffee mug, or on a t-shirt, but bring them to life in your organization by operationalizing them. Every facet, everything that has to do with people has to be run through the filter system of your value set. You say that this is what is important to us. Up to you. It could be competitiveness or it could be cooperation. It could be um, profit or it could be charity. It doesn't matter what it is, but you have to be, you have to know what they are. And then what happens is you attract like-minded people, not in the terms of like group think, the opposite of that. You agree with the people that say like, this is what is important to me on this baseline level. And now because of that, we can have really passionate debate about these little things inside the business. And that's how it works. But if you have clashing values, you don't get to have the open debate because you don't get to go anywhere. If you and your spouse are going to don't agree upon, you want kids, she doesn't, you end up having kids. Then you go like, should we, how should we raise them? Should we try to do family dinners? Is that, it's, it doesn't matter at that point. You guys have mm -hmm. missed it. 
You can't even have those debates because every time you have the debate, you're like, this isn't what I wanted. So the culture thing, you have to operate every single thing to do with your people from the way you hire them to the way you fire them to the way we reward and review the people. Everything has to be built through the, 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 the shared value set of like, this is what we agree is important. Mm-hmm. So that's one way amongst many that you can kind of like bring culture to life and do it intentionally. The other part is like, who, like, what, like, um, every time that you, um, you have a mission, you have a purpose, you have a passion, whatever you want to call that thing. Like when you're making decisions, tie things back to that. So people understand that this is what we're chasing. This is what we're doing. It doesn't look like you're like just bouncing from thing to thing to thing. But if you always tie it back to that original shared thing that people got on board on with, because this is something I find of, of, of super passionate. I feel like there's a reason behind the nine to five. I'm not just coming here and punching a clock. I'm so passionate, a shared set of a uh, shared purpose that we all uh, agree to. If that is constantly brought to light, it just brings so much more in terms of uh, what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also worth mentioning or kind of embedded in that is when you have that when you have that vision, when you have those values, when the way I always, it's not a sexy term, but I always use decisional filters instead of values because that's at least more practical. Love it. Like, well, what's the point of having a value? It's so that you can make more consistent decisions over a longer period of time. And one of the things you just said is that idea of like, oh, it feels like we're bouncing around to this thing and to that thing. Usually that happens because you don't have any decisional filters. You don't have a good reason to say, or good method by which you say, okay, this option or that option this one, I guess, because like, you know, you know, like, and I've been there before you, like you do that long enough and you two years into it, if you're lucky to get two years into it, you look at how did we get here? Well, it's because on every, at every moment or every opportunity that you had to make a big decision, you didn't have anything to rely on except like, well, how did you feel that day? <laughs> right? Like, did you get enough sleep? Were you grumpy? Did you eat well? Like, okay, no. So you probably made a poor decision or, or, or whatever, a less intentional decision. And so just having all of these things, you know, we talk about intention all the time, um, but just having that allows you to make rash, not rational, but they, uh, consistent decisions. And if you can make consistent decisions, you've said that, you've said that before uh, a lot of times, which is that most people want to be part of a consistent or take part in a consistent business than a, than an inconsistent one that feels perfect. Right. And so uh, wherever and however you can default to some kind of consistent decision-making, which as you've said, goes back down to values, goes back down to the culture. Um, I think, I think that's what people don't understand about the values or figuring out values or figuring out decisional filters. Like, well, why? Cause like you said, Oh, the soft, like whatever, we're just going to make a really good product and work real hard. That's just not how it works. <laughs> you've got too many decisions ahead of you to figure out to just rely on like, we're just going to work real hard. Yes. Um, love that decision filters. Um, the business is going to operate at the speed of trust. Mm-hmm. That's what we talk about in the book. Yep. So trust is another like eye roll type word, just like core values. People go, Oh my God, we're gonna talk about trust and other stuff. But when you break down what trust is, trust is showing that you care, mm-hmm. being consistent with that and showing a certain level of expertise or competence. So it's the three C's of trust, right? It's care, another, hey, here we go, more acronyms. There you go, not messing around. Alliterations, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, alliterations, Um, yep. Yeah, care, consistency, and competence. Yep. So what you're saying there is if you have these decision filters, it can keep you consistent. Mm -hmm. 
because you're not going to be blown by the wind of your mood of that day or the changing market forces or what yeah. your competitor has done mm-hmm. or uh, an employee is leaving or an employee brings this new, great, amazing new idea to you. Well, let's bring it through the filter system. And your values are one of them. Your purpose, your mission, your big, hairy, audacious goal, your three-year picture, your one-year goals, all of these things you set up. This is the next part. This is the vision. Mm -hmm. Good segue. This is all the things that you're going to use to run through this filter system. And as as scary as it is, what that competitor might have done and launched that like, oh my God, we have to respond to this. Well, run it through the decision filter. Like it, it might just be the nerves getting to you right now. It might just be that you're scared when if you kind of like stick to your guns a little bit and you're not chasing the either bright, shiny objects or trying to avoid the brick that you think is being thrown at your face from the competitor, mm-hmm. you can stick, you can just kind of continue to go through this and you can show both to your organization and your customers that you care, that you're consistent and that you have a certain level of competence. That breeds trust. Trust is what the whole business operates on. Um, third one there is execution. I'm sure we could talk about that for seven hours, but, but where, what are the high level thoughts there on um, give, you know, as you said, like it, all of this other, we get all, the other five things, right. You fail on execution, you fail. Yeah. What are the big tentpole ideas worth talking about as it relates to execution? So execution is basically how you, um, manage slash lead slash coach people, right? It's basically like, is the, are things getting done? Are things getting done up to the standards? Are they, are we pushing the boundaries of excellence? So in order for that to happen, there's varying degrees of approaches from complete autonomy. And if you read things like Daniel Pink, you know, in drive, you'll hear that that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. Then there's, um, complete, if you're things are like more complete discipline, right. And, um, micromanaging. Like if, um, if you want something done, right, you got to do it yourself. But if you can't do it yourself, you got to make sure that these people and check the box all along the way. And there's this big, massive gap in between this complete autonomy and micromanaging. And that's really where we want. It's the blend of the two. Essentially, we want to be able to make sure we're paying attention, leading, coaching, managing people so that things are getting done, not only well, but phenomenally well. But we also want to give people bigger, uh, higher levels of autonomy. And that essentially comes down to the art of coaching, Mm -hmm. right? This is what coaching is. Coaching is exactly what we're trying to do here. It's empowering people to want to do the great job on their own, but you holding them to a standard that they might not otherwise set for themselves. That's what execution is. It's how you can bring a coach to the table to improve performance. And that goes everything into the way, in terms of the way you deliver feedback, um, you know, whether it's um, the timeliness of that feedback, whether it's uh, in front of other people or not. It's like there's so many different factors that come into um, whether you should tell the person right when they make the mistake or you should actually watch the person make the mistake five, six, seven times. Um, and, you know, it's, there's a lot that goes into it and it's, it's stuff that – takes a some people are naturally inclined to be good coaches and they just get this from an a, a emotional intelligence standpoint because mm-hmm. they can read people really well but then there's other people that have to learn it the hard way and figure out um kind of what the mechanisms are that create um receptive um students yeah 
there's a really good distinction. I read I read it in or or came across it in a book called The Coaching Habit. Um, but it's but it's a really worthwhile distinction because once you recognize it, you can at least figure out: Am I over-indexing towards one when I need to be the other, or, or vice versa? And the distinction is between coaching for performance and coaching for development. Uh, performance is as okay. Let's let's figure out how to do this job a little bit better. Whatever that thing is, whatever the mechanics are, whatever the tactics are, and coaching to, for development is obviously taking three steps back and say, okay, why do we keep having this issue or what is the issue? Let's talk. Like, I'm going to figure. I'm going to help you figure out how to do this yourself, so that the next time a challenge like this comes up, you don't have to come to me for answers, right? And so recognizing that there's obviously benefits to both of them, but recognizing that we often default to coach for performance. Oh, they're coming to me a problem. I'm the boss. I started this thing. I'm in charge. I need to then solve it. Maybe you, but that's probably going to lead to them coming back to you the next time they have a problem and challenge because you're the person who fixes things versus I'm going to teach you. I'm going to coach you. I'm going to go slower so that you actually recognize the degree of autonomy that I want to give you, right? Whatever that thing is versus, well, I'm going to micromanage because everybody keeps bringing me the problems. And I guess I've got so many problems. I just got to solve them. Right. And recognizing that oftentimes, and this leads to maybe the, the next question, the kind of the big question, but like oftentimes if we want to do this thing for a long time, you can't fix all the problems all the time. You can only empower your people to fix the problems together or for themselves or for, for you. Right. And so I just think that that distinction is really worth, worth, uh, recognizing. Yeah. I love that. Um, I, that's like the give a man a fish. She eats for a yeah. day, teach him how to fish. He, he, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and you, you alluded to exactly the, the, the breaking points, um, for entrepreneurs, yeah. which is I can do this. I, I a personal trainer, I can, I can create a great relationship and a great results um, and a great customer experience for the one-on-one um, uh, clients that I work with. But then my business gets big and I hire on another person and another person and another person. And now you're in the job of managing that person. And to your point, like, yes, you could just call up the, the customer that's having a problem with and be like, hey, sorry about that. Like, and you can solve it for them. And that solves it for them that moment. But, or so like someone's not getting results. So, oh, let me fix the programming and I can mm -hmm. fix the programming. Mm -hmm. um, oh, here's what it is. They are, their macros were off. Let me just fix that. And now they should be eating, uh, you know, 86 grams of fat, not whatever. So it's the longer road to work with the um, teach them how to fish thing. Mm -hmm. there's another level to it as well, which is, um, working with, and I like that the, the performance versus development, cause it's kind of alludes to the same thing, which is if somebody is, um, it's the same way. And I got this from the way I work with my athletes. If somebody is, um, missing a, uh, a point of performance, if I'm a basketball coach and we're kind of doing pick and roll defense and somebody slides the wrong spot. I'm not going to wait for four or five days before mm. I have a conversation about that. Yeah. Right away, I'm going to stop practice and go, whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa. No, no. When he goes here, you slide here. That's the same type of thing that we want to do for hard skills with our employees. If they are tasked with um, writing a, um, um, a, a piece of copy, marketing material, whatever it might be, and um, they use a tonality or a word, ah, this is a, a, but you're working with a coach and they, 
that when they are coaching with them, they miss a, per, a point of performance in the snatch progression, yep. right? I'm not going to wait a week to go, hey, remember last Thursday when you were coaching the snatch? Um, you missed the progression where, you know, in uh, position two, you talked about X and we want it to be Y. I want to do that as close to that moment as I can. Now, I'm not going to stop the class for it like I would have mm -hmm. practiced in basketball. But right after that class, I want to have that conversation. And I do all the time. But if it's a more developmental thing, meaning more soft skill, meaning more if it's a personality related thing, meaning it's the tonality they have in which they address the class, meaning it's a body language thing, meaning it's a um, – they have a shrilly voice, mm -hmm. meaning that they – it's one of these softer type things that they don't look people in the eye when they talk to them. If I give them feedback on that right when it happens or as close as I can, it's going to look like I'm jumping down their throat mm. and they are not going to trust me. I need in that case to create a resume of those infractions. And then I could go to them six days later and go, hey, Patrick, just a heads up. I've been watching you coach your class over the last six days. Common trend I'm seeing is that when you coach your class, you actually don't really look people in the eye. You just stare at the back whiteboard. It'd be really helpful if you went kind of eye contact, pull back to the whole group, find somebody next eye contact person, pull back up, find the whole group and eye contact stuff. That works if I say, I've seen this after watching you do five or six classes. If I give that to you after the first one, you're like, dude, like back off. Like what are you, <laughs> it's too personal. Yeah. So this is like the developmental soft versus the performance hard skill in terms of the timing aspect that you deliver feedback and coaching. Love that. Okay. Uh, and it, was there something else? Nope. That's good. Cool. So I want to start uh, wrapping this up. One of the, 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 um, commonalities, I think of a lot of the stuff that, that we just talked about is making a distinction between success and long-term success. Right when we first went into two elements of every successful business, and I actually think a lot of what you're talking about is actually the the success of a long a long term success of a business, and so I say that to just ask the question, which is, uh, is one of the challenges of all, any of us, all of us trying to do this thing, trying to figure out the product, trying to figure out the leadership, is it not in the same way that a lot of people don't do it with their own personal health, not recognizing that we're we're aiming for for the appropriate, but aiming for a low trajectory towards that distant horizon. It's, again, especially in, in this context business, is it just we're racing too fast? We're just trying to do too much too fast. And in that pursuit, we're breaking things or, or, or we're coming close or too close to breaking things. Yeah, I actually, um, I think that we should, I think that we should all be having a different conversation about business. Hmm. Um, the race, I just, I just, Obviously, people that are listening to this podcast are going to resonate with this and understand it. I believe that every single person deserves an opportunity to live a fulfilled life. I also believe that if you're in an organization that is racing, um, there's a level of chaos to that. Mm, yeah. And that level of chaos is eroding people from the inside out. I believe that a slower approach with sustainability and don't, um, don't misread this. That, that means profitability because mm -hmm. lack of profitability is what creates chaos in the biggest sense. Cause now you are, now you are, now you are, you have a, an immediate and urgent problem that you need to solve. And if you don't solve it, you're gone. Mm 
it's the death of your business. Yeah. So it's interesting. So you it's like you, you get focused, you get obsessed with solving your problem and you stop focusing on the act back to the product. Yes, you stopped correct. focusing on the pro their problem and how you can solve it for them. I just believe that, um, as a, as a total approach, this is my approach to leadership that you can create a calm organization mm -hmm. and through that calm organization, um, the obsessiveness with returning next year's quarterly numbers. Now, again, I am all for profit and the more profit, the more sustainability, the more calmness. So yeah. don't, don't misinterpret my words here of saying like, I don't want you to make money or anything like that. I want you to do it sustainably. Yeah. And I want you to do it the right way by building the culture first. It literally has to go. We presented it in a, in a different order, but it has to go culture first first. It basically goes culture, vision, and then you execute on the product. That's how it actually goes. The execution is the, is the results, experience, and marketing. That's what you're actually creating. Now, obviously, we want to do this. I'm not omitting financial responsibility. I'm not omitting financial modeling. That stuff is incredibly valuable, but it's not the thing that's going to create the long-term success. You can't ignore it because you need to be sustainable. You need to be profitable. You need to run your business responsibly. If you don't pay attention to that, you go, let's hire the next person. And your payroll goes out of whack. And now you, I'm speaking from experience, mm -hmm. you know, back in the day when I didn't pay any attention to financial metrics, when I was a young entrepreneur and it was just like best hour of their day or die. Like, just like, <laughs> you know, yeah. great. If we got a chance to bring an awesome person on the bus, let's get them on the bus. We'll figure out the right seat. But gosh, darn it. Like, I love these guys. Let's hire them. And then you find yourself in a rough spot. Um, that's not the way for, for true long-term success. And anybody that's been listening to the podcast, I think inherently knows that I'm glad you brought it to light, but the way we define success is, you know, it's kind of that Simon Sinek thing of like the finite, it's not who's winning next quarter. It's not who's winning next year. It's not because um, then how do you define winning? Is it market share? Is it profit? Is it number of customers? Is it um, results that your customers are getting? Is it, uh, is it growth? Is it number of employees? Is it like there's so many different factors that your scoreboard doesn't look like their scoreboard. So I do like that idea of the, the infinite game, you know, the long-term thing, which is um, when you do that, uh, it creates for a little more calmness in the organization. The urgency goes down a little bit. Not that we don't want to do things well and do things right and do things quickly. You just don't have to do them artificially based off arbitrary um, metrics, data, or deadlines. Love that. All right. I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you, Ben. That was fun. Uh, thank you, everybody out there, for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Ben and I will be back next week for another episode of Chasing Excellence. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.